engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It is me. I'm back. Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number 404 872 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. Some light showers in the Carroll County and and Douglas County areas. Uh, Heavy stuff north of us, uh, north of Calhoun, uh, north of Adairsville. Otherwise, we're good today. My goodness, yesterday I couldn't get home uh, from a busy, busy multiple days in, in Washington on CNN and on Meet the Press with Chuck Todd on Sunday. Uh, I actually, I, I, I got in an Uber on uh, Sunday evening and the guy who happened to be from Atlanta and just said, oh my gosh, it's Mr. WSB. And then wanted to know how Scott Slade and Doug Turnbull were. Um, I, so we got a busy day here with the Supreme Court. We do have the Sarah Sanders stuff. I, I will get to, uh, real quickly in a nutshell though, let me summarize this on Sarah Sanders before we get into the Supreme Court, um, versus the masterpiece cake shop in Colorado. Um, because there, there are a lot of people and I've gotten emails from listeners, uh, saying, well, how can you defend one and not the other? Any person should have the right to refuse service from their business to anyone else. The difference is that in masterpiece cake, progressives are demanding the government shut him down and no one is demanding that the business in Lexington, Virginia be shut down. The other difference is that Jack Phillips told the, the couple, uh, gays are allowed, Buy anything you want in the store. Just don't make me provide the centerpiece for your religious ceremony that violates my religion. But anything else is acceptable. I'll even provide you food for your wedding reception, just not the centerpiece. In Lexington, Virginia, the owner said no conservatives allowed at all under any circumstance. You can't eat here. You're not welcome. That's a problem. Now, we'll get into the details of all that later. But first, let's get into the Supreme Court decisions today. We have two big cases tomorrow. Uh, If you think the left melted down today bad over the Supreme Court, wait until you see tomorrow if they rule against the left in the uh, union case on whether or not individuals can be compelled to pay union dues. That case is Janus versus AFSCME. It is a case over whether or not employees who are not in unions can be forced to pay dues to unions. This is happening in more and more states that are not right-to-work states where individual corporations get unionized on a vote of their employees in union states, and then the people who want no part of the union are forced to pay dues to the union that then uses those dues for political activity. Uh, This could be really the death nail of unions in the United States. Um, I'm not so sure Anthony Kennedy's going to go along with it. We'll see. The other big case tomorrow is going to be Florida versus Georgia. Yes, Florida versus Georgia. This is not a football game. This is over water rights related to Lake Lanier. Depending on how this case goes, it could directly impact you and your summer activities on Lake Lanier um, based on the uh, ability to draw water from Lake Lanier and set water levels along the watershed of the Chattahoochee River. This is a big deal before the Supreme Court. Uh, It sounded like in arguments they were leaning favorably towards Georgia, but we will find out tomorrow. Now, first, let's get into the travel ban case. A very big deal. And there is a danger here. It is an overarching danger with how people, particularly in this day and age, are reacting to these Supreme Court cases. For example, in the travel ban case, The majority of the court makes it very clear, and and the dissent uh, does a very poor job of countering, this is not a Muslim travel ban, despite the way it's been broadcast by progressives in the media. Uh, It's not. Uh, Now, the details of this and what was actually before the court, as opposed to what you believe was before the court, which is a key difference. So what was before the actual Supreme Court today? Uh, you can go to uh, wsbradio.com and check out Jamie Dupree's blog. Is a very detailed um, ruling here. But here's the thing. The first order issued by the President of the United States on January 27, 2017, imposed a 90-day ban on the entry into the United States of citizens from Iran, Iraq, Libya, Syria, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen. 
put a 120-day hold on admissions of refugees from those countries, although there were some exceptions. That's not actually what was before the court today. Why? Because the, because the president withdrew that order. And then he changed it. He changed it and reissued the order in March of 2017, which imposed a 90-day ban on the entry of citizens from six of those countries. He included in there as well uh, the uh, North Korea and Venezuela and added uh, Chad. Now, why did he do it? Well, he did it because, and this is totally left out of the conversation, he did it because the Obama administration had determined shortly before the end of Barack Obama's tenure in office that these countries were not providing enough information to the United States to give a detailed review of who their citizens were trying to come into the country. Let me quote from you part of John Roberts here. Uh, and I'm actually reading from SCOTUS blog, which is a, a great blog on the Supreme Court. John Roberts rejected Hawaii's argument that the revised order, which was revised again in September 2017, exceeds the president's authority uh, because the Immigration and Nationality Act exudes deference to the president, giving the president of the United States broad discretion to suspend the entry of non-citizens into the United States. The president can block non-citizens from coming into the United States if he determines that allowing them to enter would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. According to Roberts, the 2017 order was the result of a worldwide multi-agency review that concluded that the entry restrictions in the order were necessary to prevent foreign nationals from coming to the United States from countries that did not share enough information about their citizens to allow immigration officials to vet them properly. Now, what about the religion issue and what about the um, the issue of the president's tweets? A lot of a lot of pundits and whatnot uh, made a real big deal about the president's tweets saying, oh, look, on the campaign trail, he was saying we're going to ban Muslims from coming to the country. The majority and again, reading from SCOTUS blog, the majority turned to Hawaii's argument about the establishment clause. The state pointed to statements and tweets by the president and his advisors. Roberts began with the rebuke of the president, observing that the president possesses the extraordinary power to speak to his fellow citizens on their behalf. But, Roberts said, the federal government and other presidents have performed unevenly in living up to the inspiring words of prior presidents about religious freedom. Notwithstanding that, the question before the Supreme Court is what role those statements should play in determining the constitutionality of the order. Under Supreme Court precedent, the justices look at whether or not the order is neutral on its face. And based on those Supreme Court precedents, Roberts concluded, direct quote here, preventing entry of nationals who cannot be adequately vetted and inducing other nations to improve their practices is a legitimate purpose. The fact of the president's statements does not support an inference of religious hostility because the policy covers just 8% of the world's Muslim population and is limited to countries that were previously designated by Congress and the prior administration as posing national security risks. So you got that? Look at it on its face. Does it discriminate? It does not. It doesn't discriminate because the, oh, I mentioned Chad earlier, by the way, Chad was, was removed, uh, Venezuela, and North Korea added. Um, it doesn't discriminate because it allows exceptions of classes of people, including Muslims, who are allowed into the country. It only applies to a handful of countries. Some of the countries it applies to have no Muslim populations to speak of. And they're all based on a class of country designated by the prior administration as not providing enough information to have immigration officials vet them. In other words, this wasn't about discriminating against Muslims. 
the president may have said all of these things, but when you actually look at the order, how it was structured, how it was implemented, and the loopholes it gave, it's impossible to look at both the order and its implementation and say this is discriminating against Muslims. In fact, Muslims from those countries were still able to come into the country if they had certain exceptions. This was different, for example, from the Masterpiece Cake case, where the entire, the state of Colorado denied um, or went after a Christian bake shop for the sole purpose of them being Christian. This case says it was the prior administration, Barack Obama, who designated this handful of countries as a threat to our national security in the immigration process. And all this administration did was say, given that designation, we shouldn't allow them in unless we can vet them. That's it. All the hysteria you've heard about this being anti-Muslim bigotry and not, when you actually looked at the order, what it said and how it was implemented, the Supreme Court didn't find any of that. Hysteria from the left. Their mythology is a dangerous thing. The problem we're going to have increasingly in this situation is that the left is going to believe the myth and they're not even going to read these court opinions and try to see for themselves that what they're saying isn't true. I actually have a personal story that I can add to to my Harry's promo here that I'm doing. <laughs> so in Washington for Meet the Press and then wound up doing Wolf Blitzer yesterday, spur of the moment thing, I lost my razor blade. I don't know where it went. Uh, I got my, my bag and I, I had my Harry's razor and, and at some point the the razor blade came off in flight, I guess, in my in my travel bag and i couldn't find it i guess it, it probably fell out in the hotel room or something uh, but there was a target near my hotel and i you can go get harry's razors at target now and so i was able to do that because they're not a shave club you can go online if you want you can do auto refills if you want but you can also just go buy individual things or go to target or walmart and i went to target and was able to actually shave before my meet the press appearance for a limited time harry's has a special offer for listeners of my show New customers get $5 off a shave set with Harry's um, by going to promo using promo code Erickson at harrys.com. That means you can get a starter set. It comes with a five blade razor, a weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks plus free shipping. When you use my code, which is my last name, Erickson at harrys.com, you join millions of guys who've already switched, myself included. You go to harrys.com today, use code Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N at checkout, and you claim your offer. Uh, and no, just to answer your question, I didn't use the travel cover, which is probably part of the problem. But nonetheless, uh, I was able to get it rectified, got, a, got more razor blades, and was able to get my clean shaven face on national television uh, with Chuck Todd uh, and then Wolf Blitzer. Some of that in the next hour when we talk about the Sarah Sanders situation, because that's what I was talking about with them. Uh, when we come back, though, we need to talk about the other case before the Supreme Court today, the NIFLA case, they call it. Uh, national, uh, what is it? Um, it it's basically f um, pro-life family centers across the nation. In California, they were targeted by the state um, for demanding that they do things they didn't require others to do. We'll get into that case. And Anthony Kennedy's concurrence, which needs to be read, needs to be heard to understood uh, where he's coming from. And of course, after tomorrow, the big question is, will he retire? Let me take a quick time out to thank this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. Now, you may not need a VPN. I do for my work, and I've been trying to find a good one that isn't going to break the bank. And it's sometimes very difficult and it's hard to set up. For those of you who don't know what a VPN is, a virtual private network, uh, it lets you privately and securely use the Internet at fast speeds without being tracked by anyone. Oftentimes, you have companies that require you to have a VPN into their um, system and you just, you, sometimes you need them so you can't be tracked with all the news coming out about data hacks and breaches it's hard for me not to be worried about my digital privacy no matter what you do online your mobile carrier internet service providers they're tracking you doesn't matter what your cable company is or your phone company wherever you're getting your internet from you're probably being tracked with ExpressVPN your internet data is encrypted your IP address is hidden ExpressVPN covers less than 7 bucks a month 
It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and dozens of expert reviewers. It has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Yes, you can use them on your phone and tablet. If you're on unsecure Wi-Fi and you want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is for you. Now, to take back your internet privacy today, to find out how you can get three free months, go to expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Eric for three months free with a one-year package. Every day you use the internet without ExpressVPN, you're putting sensitive information at risk. So don't put this off. Protect your online data with ExpressVPN today. Visit expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. It is 38 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. I've turned off the radar. When you get up towards Tennessee, there are storms, but otherwise in our area, everything seems to be settled down. My goodness, y'all. I had the most, it was actually really, really funny and also really surreal. And it's, it's happened to me before, uh, but not in this way. I, so we got on the plane to come home yesterday. It was, they actually stopped boarding and told us we could get off because the 720 flight, they got moved to basically 830. Um, but when I sat down, the guy next to me was on his iPhone watching a recording, I guess off DirecTV or something, of of Sunday's Meet the Press. And I sat down next to this guy on the airplane, and he kind of looks at me out of, out of the side of his eye, looks back down at his iPhone screen where I'm talking, and then leans forward <laughs> and turns his head to look at my face. And I just fell out laughing. Uh, a really, really nice guy. Um, he was headed back from overseas, works for the military. I had a great conversation with him. But, yeah, it was it was just surreal. Um, very, very funny for both of us. In, in any event, uh, good conversation. Uh, relevant to the Sarah Sanders stuff, which we'll get into later. But I, a, a few more minutes on the Supreme Court. I want to read from you part of Anthony Kennedy's concurrence today, which is very consistent with his uh, masterpiece cake shop uh, opinion that uh, government cannot behave authoritarianly uh, towards people who have sincerely held beliefs. Now, this involves an act in California, I believe it's called the FAST Act, that or FACT Act, that requires um, crisis pregnancy centers display statements uh, that uh, the state provides abortions. And if anybody wants a free abortion, they can call this number. Now, crisis pregnancy centers tend to be Christian-oriented. Most of them are licensed uh, to perform ultrasounds, um, uh, pregnancy testing, uh, things like that. Some of them are not. They don't do medical services. They don't have doctors on staff. And California targeted them specifically with this law that requires them to let everyone know that they provide that the state will pay for an abortion uh, that this place will not. Um, the state says it's because they have all of these facilities and a lot of women don't sign up for them and they wanted more education. But what Clarence Thomas writing for the majority pointed out and what Anthony Kennedy and his concurrence pointed out is that none of those other facilities that provide abortions were required to display notices that the state provides free abortions in California. Only the places that counsel against abortion are were the ones targeted. And that if the state really had such a compelling interest to make sure that all women in the state knew there were state-funded programs they could sign up for 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 pregnancy and abortion, um, they should have made every a clinic do it. So here's what Anthony Kennedy wrote. The history of the act's passage and its under-inclusive application, meaning it only applies to pro-life places, suggests a very real possibility that these individuals were targeted because of their beliefs. The California legislature included in its official history the congratulatory statement that the act was part of California's legacy of forward thinking. But it is not forward thinking to force individuals to be an instrument for fostering public adherence to an ideological point of view they find unacceptable. It is forward thinking to begin by reading the First Amendment as ratified in 1791, 
to understand the history of authoritarian government as the founders then knew it, to confirm that history since then shows how relentless authoritarian regimes are in their attempts to stifle free speech, and to carry those lessons onward as we seek to preserve and teach the necessity of freedom of speech for generations to come. Governments must not be allowed to force persons to express a message contrary to their deep, deepest convictions. Freedom of speech secures freedom of thought and belief. This law imperils those liberties. Between this concurrence, the case overall and Masterpiece Cake Shop, Clarence Thomas and Anthony Kennedy are establishing a pretty clear basis for other courts to allow Christians to say, I'm not baking this cake or I'm not providing these flowers. In fact, the court wound up sending Baronel Stutzman's case, she's the florist in Oregon, they wound up sending it back to the uh, Oregon Supreme Court and said, in light of our decision and masterpiece, you need to review this before it comes back to us. In other words, what Kennedy is saying is that when you get into the government compelling individuals to do things, you cannot compel them to embrace a message contrary to their deepest convictions. It's really a renunciation of populist and progressive authoritarianism. It's a pretty powerful statement from Anthony Kennedy on, on the restraint of government. But there's something else he wrote we need to consider. There is more to Anthony Kennedy in his concurrence in the travel ban case. Let me read you this excerpt. There are numerous instances in which the statements and actions of government officials are not subject to judicial scrutiny or intervention. That does not mean those officials are free to disregard the Constitution and the rights it protects and proclaims. The oath that all officials take to adhere to the Constitution is not confined to those fears in which the judiciary can correct or even comment upon what those officials say or do. Indeed, the very fact that an official may have broad discretion, discretion free from judicial scrutiny, makes it all the more imperative for him or her to adhere to the Constitution and to its meaning and its promise. Now, what's so notable about these two concurrences by Kennedy are that Kennedy has more than any other justice on the Supreme Court in the last two decades been the guy who has said, bring this to the Supreme Court and we will solve your problem. That we will take care of these problems. We will be the final arbiter. Kennedy, in fact, has actually repeatedly shown an unwillingness to restrain himself or the court. He hasn't led the country come to its own terms and decisions on same-sex marriage, for example. He hasn't allowed Congress to restrain itself through campaign finance reforms. He, time and time again, has tried to broaden the Supreme Court's power. And when you take these two cases together in his concurrence, it's almost like Kennedy is saying, you know what? We can't solve everything at the Supreme Court. We can't fix it all. It's time for all of us to understand that these cultural ailments can't be solved by government and that government can't try to force someone to abandon their sincerely held beliefs. It's almost like Kennedy is signaling he may be ready to retire. Maybe. There are a lot of people reading these concurrences and the way he punted on the gerrymandering cases, essentially telling them the Supreme Court's not going to make up a, make a decision in an area where he has long agitated for the Supreme Court to make a decision, that maybe he's given up realizing that he's not going to solve all the world's problems, that he's tried and things get worse. In other words, maybe all of the progressive agitation and violence in the past year is causing him to think it's time to retire in the same way last year, the president's agitation at the end of the Supreme Court term was enough to make him think he needed to try to stick around and fix it. He's realizing now it's not going to be fixed. Might as well go enjoy that retirement. It is 55 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Here I am on Meet the Press. The culture wars reared their ugly head this weekend, um, and we've had, That's Chuck we had Todd, Sarah Sanders uh, get kicked out of a restaurant by the owner um, because she worked for President Trump. You had Mike Huckabee use um, a pretty uh, a disgusting sort of 
tweet picture here to describe Nancy Pelosi and her campaign committee using gang members on that. Eric Erickson, you were critical of of of, uh, the whole, of, all, of, it. of all of it. Um, and, and interesting, you were almost apologetic. You were like, yeah, your younger self might have actually participated in some yeah. of this. Um, is this the new normal? Is this going to get this even uglier? Yeah, I think it is going to get it uglier. I, I think that James Hodgkinson is less an anomaly and more an inflection point. Um, we're headed towards more violence, I think, if people on both sides don't rein it in. It's not enough to say, well, you started it. No, you started it. This happened or this happened. It is we have I had Trump supporters show up on my front porch to threaten my family. Uh, you have the secretary of Homeland Security as progressive activists show up at her house uh, to protest her. Um, you have people getting thrown out of restaurants. If we can't agree to disagree and let each other be, and neither side wants to do that, it becomes a problem. We have, as religion in the country fades and society becomes more secular, people are finding their salvation and their morals in politics, and that's a bad thing. Yes, we will discuss this and the latest from Maxine Waters when we come back. It's nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I'm going to move on from the Supreme Court now because we do have the situation with Sarah Sanders and the restaurant in Lexington, Virginia, the owner of that restaurant has now removed herself from leading a volunteer organization to benefit the downtown area of that city. Here's the thing. Uh, part of it, it goes to this clip I played at the end of the last hour from me on Meet the Press. The point I made, I also made it on Wolf Blitzer show yesterday. Uh, as the nation is becoming more secular, religion isn't going away people's sense of right and wrong and what they believe is their path to salvation is actually now going from church and synagogue to political fights and public policy. And the difference between real religion and politics is that in real religion, there is the idea of grace or mercy. And in politics, um, it is all about beating the other side. Now, I think all of you probably are aware of there's a verse in the Bible about uh, seek the welfare of the city in which you're in exile, and there you'll find your welfare. Jeremiah 29, 7. As more and more people that were seeking their salvation in politics and tying their welfare to Washington, small fights, political fights, are morphing from being disagreements about public policy to moral crusades. People are making things about good and evil. If you support the detainment of kids at the border, suddenly because Donald Trump's in charge now and not Barack Obama, suddenly it's a battle of good and evil. It, it is a, a moral crusade, and that's an unhealthy dynamic, and it doesn't show any signs of abating. This afternoon, Mitch McConnell and Elaine Chow, the Senate Majority Leader, and his wife, the Secretary of Transportation, were surrounded at their home by angry progressives. An official at the Department of Homeland Security woke up this morning to a uh, animal carcass on his front porch on fire that had been decapitated. Sarah Sanders thrown out of a restaurant. Pam Bondi, the attorney general in Florida, chased out of a movie theater. The secretary of Homeland Security had protesters show up at a restaurant to chase her out. Um, they showed up at her home. Uh, individual agents of Customs uh, Immigration Customs Enforcement, ICE, have seen pictures of their families put online along with their home addresses. Maxine Waters encouraging people to find any Republican and chase them out of the public square, chase them out of the gas station, chase them out of the theater, chase them out of the restaurant. Encouraging the mob, the president reciprocating, of course. But, you know, Donald Trump didn't start this. I mean, it was Barack Obama who said, bring a gun to a knife fight. It was all well and good, metaphorical, and everybody kind of understood what he meant, even if it sounded violent, until James Hodgkinson actually showed up with a gun at a baseball game to mass assassinate Republican members of Congress. It was Barack Obama who said that Republic told Hispanic voters, Republicans are your enemy. You need to go to the polls and punish them. Now, and that's not to say, for those of you now screaming at me, that's not to say Barack Obama started this. He didn't start it either. But he went further than his predecessors. 
And then Donald Trump has now gone further than his predecessors. Let me give you some of Donald Trump's quotes. I'd like to punch him in the face. Part of the problem is no one hurts any, each other anymore. I don't know if I'd do the fighting myself or if other people will. The audience hit back. That's what we need more of, people hitting back. If you do hurt him, I'll defend you in court. I'll beat the crap out of you. Knock the crap out of him, would you? I promise you, I'll pay your legal fees. Those are all quotes from Donald Trump on the campaign trail. And then yesterday telling Maxine Waters to watch out. Um, this is escalating on both sides. It's not one side. Both sides have issues. And it is a problem and it's growing. It's like the mob has embraced um, the devil's twisted version of the golden rule. Instead of doing unto others as we want them to do unto us, uh, people are embracing do to others what we think they deserve. Nobody's showing grace to each other. Uh, perhaps we need to do that again. I really do think, though, the only cure for this is to turn back to our cities and actually do what Scripture says, seek our welfare in the city in which we're in exile. Look at our, our neighborhood, look at our town, look at our city. It's in neighborhoods where people with differing views see each other as neighbors, not as political opponents or now political adversaries or enemies. It's our town councils, our city councils, our school boards that we're most likely to improve our kids' future. Washington has become the be-all, end-all in American politics. And we need to make it not be so on both sides. Both sides need to focus more locally. Both sides need to constrain Washington. Except there is a problem. I mean, let, let's, let's just put this in perspective with what's happening with the progressive left in America right now. I'm afraid the next step will be conservatives adopting the tactic as we've seen people now say we can after years of saying we gotta we we gotta deal with bill clinton and impeach him um character counts to now saying character doesn't count president trump is in our pastor the left is now violent i expect the right's going to be come violent uh in the way the left is although maybe not to the extent because ultimately most conservatives understand you change culture to change politics and part of the reason progressives are so angry right now is they really believed that you could change culture through politics instead of changing politics through culture so they got barack obama elected he did all he could do through the executive branch they had a progressive democrats around the country pushing pushing progressive policies in california and whatnot and what happened republicans got elected and they undid a lot of it and they never saw culture change. And so now they've gone from trying to change culture through politics to trying to stamp out dissent. And, and they've decided that if nobody can see that other people disagree with us, well, then people will stop disagreeing with us. And that, again, gets to Anthony Kennedy and the point that Anthony Kennedy was making in his concurrence today. Let me read this to you one more time. The California legislature included in its official history of this um, anti-life law, the congratulatory statement that the act was part of California's legacy of forward thinking. It is not forward thinking to force individuals to be instruments for fostering public adherence to an ideological point of view that they find unacceptable. It is forward thinking to begin by reading the First Amendment, to understand the history of authoritarian governments as the founders knew it, to confirm that history since has shown how relentless authoritarian regimes are in their attempt to stifle free speech, and to carry those lessons onward as we seek to preserve and teach the necessity of freedom of speech for the generations to come. Governments must not be allowed to force persons to express a message contrary to their deepest convictions. Freedom of speech secures freedom of thought and belief. The law imperils these liberties. We're seeing the progressive mob having failed to change culture through the political process now try to stamp out dissent. The problem is that evil preaches tolerance until it's dominant and then it seeks to stamp out dissent. And that's what we're seeing here. And we are emboldening evil by allowing people to chase others out of the town square. But there are some differences worth paying attention to. No conservatives is calling for this restaurant in Northern Virginia to be shut down for failing to serve Sarah Sanders. No one is doing that. But there are a lot of progressives demanding that Jack Phillips Bakery in Colorado be shut down for failing to provide a wedding cake to a same-sex wedding. That's a big difference. Another difference is that we are now seeing progressives treat conservatives as a class of people unworthy of service. All Jack Phillips did was say, all gays are allowed. I will sell you anything in my store for any reason if you're gay, except a wedding cake, because that then violates my religious belief. 
So it's more expansive. The, the prohibitions on who to serve and when to serve are more expansive on the left than they are with Jack Phillips and his bakery. An entire class of people, people who support Donald Trump, are unwelcome. And I'm not calling for government to change that. I'm suggesting it's unhealthy for you to have that worldview. What I'm also saying is that if you equate service with endorsement, you got a real big problem because then you are going to start having Democrat and Republican establishments and we're going to further fracture the, the country. When you believe that if you eat at Chick-fil-A, you are endorsing the founders of Chick-fil-A's positions on something, you got a problem in your head. If you believe that you serving a meal to someone endorses the views of the person you're serving, you got a real problem. And then there's something else. For about a decade now, the left has been increasingly talking, talking about triggering, that things trigger them. If you quote what the Bible says on homosexuality, it's triggering someone. But according to the left, um, you quote Ronald Reagan, scripture, or Donald Trump, you're triggering them. But by Maxine Waters standing on, on a stage telling people to rouse the mob and chase Trump officials out of the town square, the left says that's not triggering people. That's not triggering, according to them. Progressivism is the logic of the insane asylum, and it's an insane asylum that is increasingly getting violent because these people are looking for their salvation in a political process because they've abandoned going to church. And when you do that, there's no concept of grace there. It's destroy the other side, and that ends badly for all of us. Everybody has to tone this down. Everybody. It is 27 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Let's go to the phones here. Tom in Watkinsville, you're up next. Welcome. Tom? Uh, Hang on a second, Tom. The phones are having issues. and There you are. How are you? I'm doing very well. I respect what you're saying about uh, about the religious uh, aspect of all of this, but I really think that in some ways this is very much akin to the the years before the Civil War, in which there were fundamental uh, disagreements between who had control, whether whether the states were dominant or whether the federal government was dominant. And what we've been fighting this fight between anarchy and totalitarianism since Woodrow uh, Wilson and Teddy Roosevelt. And I think that we have gotten so close to totalitarianism that, that during the early years of Barack Obama, I think there were a lot of people who were willing to take up arms against the federal government. What you're seeing now is you're seeing exactly the same thing on the left. Yep. Hey, hey, Tom, yes. Um, Hold that thought and listen when we get back. I didn't realize we had a hard break right here. When we come back, I want to address that. You're making a very good point about history. It's 38 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB-TALK. My friend Jonathan Last has a piece of the Weekly Standard that is worth um, hearing just a little bit of. Uh, And these links I'll be sure to put in the daily email I send out. If you want it, text the word SHOW to 444-999. Uh, He writes, it may feel satisfying to lay all of the blame for this at the feet of Donald Trump. It is, after all, darkly humorous that the same people expressing outrage at the conduct of the Red Hen owner are all happy to say that Trump's moral failings didn't matter because they were electing him to be president, not ordaining him as a minister. They're able to compartmentalize moral standing apart from professional duty for the commander in chief, but not for the restaurateur. But while satisfying, it would be wrong. Norm busting didn't start with Donald Trump. Remember the weathermen, the SDS, the Chicago Democratic Convention in 68, Preston Brooks, Roger Griswold, bloody Kansas, the Civil War, every decade of European history for the past thousand years. The reason we have norms in the first place is because there is always an undercurrent of violence in politics. And that's because to invert Clausewitz, politics is war by other means. 
One of the great accomplishments of Western civilization has been, for the most part, to push that undercurrent way down deep. It has not always worked. It will not always work. Americans tend to look at a place like the former Yugoslavia and think this sort of unpleasantness can't happen here, and maybe it couldn't. America has strong institutions, and institutions matter when it comes to keeping undercurrents of violence submerged. Though perhaps you've noticed that none of America's institutions are as strong as they used to be. Which is why so many people were prospectively worried about Trump. Not because Trump was the source of some brand new brand of political violence, but because political violence is a Pandora's box. And once it is opened, it cannot be shut until it burns itself out. Because everyone loves this sort of thing when it's their side doing the scalping. Now, I disagree slightly with this in that I don't believe he does enough uh, to point that this was happening before Trump into the Obama administration. It was, after all, it wasn't Donald Trump trying to shut down Jack Phillips' uh, bakery shop in Colorado. It was the left. It was the left uh, burning limousines of immigrants on Inauguration Day uh, with Donald Trump. There was th This violence goes back for a while, and it has increasingly been from the left as they... Uh, decide that it's no longer enough to try to change culture through politics. They've got to stamp out anyone who disagrees with them so that they can have the field to themselves. It's, it's very much what authoritarians do. It's very much what communists have done. In communist countries, there can only be one party and everyone must toe the party line because to expose people to other ideas is dangerous. That is a very authoritarian leftist concept. But people on the right are embracing this to some degree with Donald Trump. Look at, look at what he's doing with Harley today. Uh, the president of the United States, when he attacked Staples was roundly condemned by the right, except it was Barack Obama who attacked Staples for cutting hours due to Obamacare. President Obama went on the warpath against Staples and conservatives defended them. It's kind of troubling today to see some conservatives attacking Harley, along with the president of the United States, for moving jobs to Europe in response to the tariffs. It was a logical outcome of the tariffs. You know, it, it, the other thing that's interesting here is I have talked now to three different Republican congressmen in the last week, and every single one of them says none of this matters. None of it matters. The The border situation doesn't matter. The separating kids doesn't matter. Whether or not we get something good out of North Korea doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is tariffs. The reason is because agricultural commodity prices are already being impacted. Steel prices are already being impacted. Some tariffs are baked in. Uh, it'll be next year with, when you start having impacts on, on cars. It'll be a while longer on beer and, and whatnot. Soybeans, though, have an immediate impact. Farm commodity uh, tariffs are already in effect now from China and Europe. American farmers in Iowa are about to lose their contracts to supply China soybeans, and they're losing them to Brazil. And the reason is because of the tariffs. And you can say that, well, these other countries have tariffs. They actually have a far less than, than, they, than they otherwise would. And in fact, in many cases, the things that the president is saying are tariffs aren't actually tariffs. But what you're arguing against, though, is the status quo. Is it better that Brazilian farmers sell to the Chinese or American farmers sell to the Chinese because that's happening here and now. I was actually talking to a, a very well-known uh, TV analyst, uh, all, all of you would know, uh, in Washington yesterday. And he was saying, what if the president, he's doing this, and then we get to August and he says, you know what, I won. Trade war over. Tariffs gone. Uh, and the economy doesn't collapse. Uh, this, this may actually help the Republicans. And I said, yes, that, that's absolutely right. I'm sure that's part of his thinking. It is strategic. It is for the election. But the farm contracts for harvest are being negotiated right now. So in Iowa and Indiana, farmers are being hurt right now. In Wisconsin, uh, farmers and aluminum and steel manufacturers are being hurt right now. That's a problem for the GOP right now. There was, I think objectively so, we saw it in the generic ballot data, we saw it in the special elections, we saw it in the Virginia complete off-year elections, there was a blue wave growing. 
And despite the president's tariffs, more and more data is starting to trickle out that perhaps the Democrats aren't going to have the good year they thought they were going to have. Now, it looks like they're winning Arizona. It looks like Arizona is going to pick up a Senate seat. Uh, it looks like the Democrats are going to pick up Arizona in the Senate. It looks like the Democrats are going to pick up Nevada in the Senate. That loses the Senate for the GOP. But it looks like Rick Scott, Rick Scott, the Republican governor of Florida, may beat Bill Nelson in Florida. It looks like Joe Manchin in West Virginia may be gone. It looks like uh, Heidi Heiskamp in North Dakota may be toast. It looks like John Tester in Montana may be toast. Um, it, we are a divided nation, and this left-wing antagonism towards the right is hurting more and more. You've now got bipartisan condemnation of Maxine Waters. Uh, here's Paul Ryan a short time ago talking about Maxine Waters. And I want to add to what Steve said about Congresswoman uh, Waters. There's no place for this. Uh, she obviously should apologize. When we in this democracy are suggesting that because we disagree with people on, on political views, on policy views, on philosophical views, that we should resort to violence and harassment and intimidation, that's dangerous for our, 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 our society. It's dangerous for our democracy. She should apologize, and there's just no place for that in our public discourse. He joins Chuck Schumer in calling for her to apologize and cut it out. Um, I don't think this ends well for Democrats. It, 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 it empowers Republicans and it reminds Republicans that the other side so hates them, they have to go vote to stop the other side from coming back to power. Um, the, power the party out of power tends to take back power in midterms because the incumbent party sits it out. Republicans aren't going to sit out the midterms this year because they know what's going to happen to them if the left gets any sort of power in Congress. Let me take a quick time out to thank this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. Now, you may not need a VPN. I do for my work, and I've been trying to find a good one that isn't going to break the bank, and it's sometimes very difficult and it's hard to set up. For those of you who don't know what a VPN is, a virtual private network, uh, it lets you privately and securely use the internet at fast speeds without being tracked by anyone. Oftentimes, you have companies that require you to have a VPN into their um, system, and you just, you, sometimes you need them so you can't be tracked. With all the news coming out about data hacks and breaches, it's hard for me not to be worried about my digital privacy. No matter what you do online, your mobile carrier, internet service providers, they're tracking you. Doesn't matter what your cable company is or your phone company, wherever you're getting your internet from, you're probably being tracked. With ExpressVPN, your internet data is encrypted. Your IP address is hidden. ExpressVPN covers less than 7 bucks a month. It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and dozens of expert reviewers. It has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Yes, you can use them on your phone and tablet. If you're on unsecure Wi-Fi and you want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is for you. Now, to take back your internet privacy today, to find out how you can get three free months, go to expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Eric for three months free with a one-year package. Every day you use the internet without ExpressVPN, you're putting sensitive information at risk. So don't put this off. Protect your online data with ExpressVPN today. Visit expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. It is 55 after the hour. You know, one thing that's going on here as well, talking about e e emboldening each side. I want to play you part of this, uh, of the media. Um, it's a montage of the media, essentially making the case that all Trump voters are racist and bad. Listen to this for just a minute. If you vote for Trump, then you, the voter, you, not Donald Trump, are standing at the border like Nazis, going, you here, you here. And I think we now have to flip it. And it's a given the evilness of Donald Trump. If you hold down the woman while the rapist is raping her, and you didn't rape her, are you a rapist? Tens of millions of people voted for him after he showed his cards for years. But are you, so suggest we have are you suggesting that they're racist? or they're yes. The, yes. the, the people who vote, all the people who voted for Donald Trump are racist. Yes. Yeah. If Republicans weren't so racist, they could encourage black people who are morally conservative to be on their yeah. side. Those people who are supporting what he's doing here 
are racist, period. It's uh, movements and people that are speaking up for things, whether we're talking about civil rights movement, whatever else, those movements should be nonviolent, but they should not be non-confrontational. And so these policies that this administration is putting forth are intentionally cruel, they are racist, and it is, a, it is our job as citizens to speak out against that. Now, does that mean that we're going to be violent? No. But does that mean that Sarah Sanders can have a nice, quiet dinner with her family when she's taking our tax dollars to implement this policy? I don't think so. Anybody who votes for and supports a racist is a racist. You are culpable, white America. I'm sorry. Is it complicit or either you're enabling? You know, you know I, I can stop it there. We don't need to listen anymore to those people. Here's the point, though. They believe that if you support Donald Trump, you're a racist. Look at the Supreme Court today. For all the people who said the Supreme Court matters and it's the only reason to vote for Trump, they kind of hit it out of the park today. For those of us who, who didn't support the president, I mean, these were substantial victories today. The travel ban case, preserving the power of the president uh, without succumbing to Trump derangement syndrome. The NIFLA case on uh, pro-lifers being able to conduct business as they see fit without uh, being forced to embrace a message by the state. Those things matter. The uh, progressive activists showing up, throwing people out of restaurants, harassing people in their homes. The, these things matter. Um, you are not endorsing the president, even if you were to concede that he was a racist. And I don't actually think he is. There's a whole lot of reason to support someone who is not driving you out of the town square, not driving you literally out of restaurants and theaters, uh, not encouraging violence against your person. And the left doesn't understand that. They are overplaying their hand on this issue, uh, and it's probably going to end badly for them, except it's going to end badly for us because they are more and more, listen, the, the left in this country has completely embraced the mythology that Merrick Garland's seat was stolen on the Supreme Court, which essentially provides them the moral right then to kill Neil Gorsuch at their earliest possible opportunity. And I really don't mean that hyperbole. We've already had James Hodgkinson. If they are really convinced that Merrick Garland's seat was stolen and Neil Gorsuch just helped the president perpetuate racism in America, uh, why not take him out of the earliest possible opportunity or other justices and judges in the federal system? I mean, all this does is call for more violence. When you believe the mythology that Donald Trump is a racist, when you believe the mythology that all of his voters are racist, when you believe the mythology that Republicans Republicans are stamping out women's rights, that Republicans are Nazis, that Republicans are putting people in concentration camps. When you believe that mythology, you give yourself the moral right to combat it, and that's not going to end very well for anyone. The left needs to really rethink this dangerous game they're playing.